listening to DevOps and Docker Talk. I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank the now over 100 paid supporters that make this show such a pleasure to do. You can get more info and follow me for free at patreon.com slash brettfisher. Okay, I'm pulling another episode out of the archives from 2020 when I was taking a not-so-short break from launching new podcast episodes. My guest this time is Nolan Brubaker from VMware, and we talk about the Valero open-source project for backing up, migrating, and restoring all of your Kubernetes resources and persistent volumes. Now, usually in my audio-only podcast, I'll edit out the demos on the YouTube live show simply because they don't make a lot of sense in an audio-only format. But I listened to a lot of this one again, and it made a lot of sense, and I'm leaving it in. So somewhere between the 20 and 30-minute mark, we get into a demo, but it's largely CLI-based, and it's largely a discussion around how the tool is used, some of the settings you might use. So I didn't feel like we were losing much of the knowledge transfer in just having audio only. So I'm keeping that in this podcast. If you're interested in some of the features of the product, what's in the future of it and all that, we go through that pretty well in the demo check it out. I think it's a valuable project that we all need to deal with when we're running Kubernetes in production and we have to worry about persistent data. Now on with the show. My guest today, which we've been talking about this for months, planning this with the team at VMware, Nolan from VMware. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And what is your Twitter handle? I just realized, what is that? What does that mean? Um, That's Palin Day. That's something I came up with in, gosh, now middle school. It's made up. I think I got it from a Dragonlance novel. Took, nice. took a character name and changed it. Don't really talk I, about work stuff there, but if <laughs> you want to follow me, you can. Be prepared not to deceive a whole lot of Docker or Kubernetes. But uh, yeah, you're certainly welcome to follow me. Yeah, so I, I always appreciate having fellow gamers on the show. I just finished Doom uh, Eternal and stayed up way too late the last month killing that game. And it I, I almost threw my controller a few times because it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't gotten into Doom Eternal. Um, I What I've lately been playing has been Dragon Quest Eleven on the Switch, but that's going to take me a while the way, at the yeah. rate I've been playing it since it's like over 100 hours. So, wow. yeah, it's going to take me a long time to get through that. That's, that's commitment. Yeah. Yeah. That's more than a few charges on your, uh, on your Nintendo. On Switch, so. yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. I'm prepared for that to be like a year long thing, if not more. So, right. Yeah. Right. Well, cool. Oh, by the way, for those asking I or wondering, I didn't know. Uh, I had to ask if that was Metroid related in the background. And indeed, that poster is from Super Metroid, right? That's a. Yep. Yep. That's a Super Metroid thing off of. Uh, that was a fan art poster that I got for Christmas one year. Yeah. Nice. So we don't normally talk about games in this show, but I just thought I had to mention it because we're, sta- we're going to be staring at it the whole show. Uh, I My gamer handle is Sonic Bum, and it didn't make much sense on the internet, so I had to end up changing it to my real name because I realized nobody would no nobody would find me. Mostly because I was into Sonic the Hedgehog in the 90s, and I Sonic Boom was taken and Sonic was taken, so I made up Sonic Bum. But that is old news. Uh, you can still find some remnants of that stuff around if someone was trying to hunt me down. All right, so let's talk about Kubernetes and backups because that's why you're here, but also yeah. it's a topic that doesn't get a lot of talk. And but first, let's talk about uh, like how did you get started at VMware and like wh- what's your background? Yeah, so I came to VMware via Heptio. I started at Heptio working on Valero, which was Heptio Arc. We got renamed as part of the acquisition. The project started one day at Heptio when Joe Beta was trying to work with some clusters and realized he had some EBS volumes that he's like, hey, I need, what if, wouldn't it be great if something snapshotted this, snapshotted these volumes automatically? So I came from, before that, I was at Rackspace working on a project called OpenStack Ansible that deployed the OpenStack control plane with Ansible in not Docker containers, but LXC containers. So it was taking the control plane and instead of like deploying a ton of hardware, it, it was condensing that into containers. So yeah, I, I went from that to working at Heptio and trying to make this whole Kubernetes thing work out and uh, 
that bet paid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really cool. So Valera is now the new product name. In fact, let me just bring it up so people can see the site. Yeah. Yeah. And Valero.io. Mm-hmm. And they can find out all the good stuff about this here. And, you know, typically, like if we're going to talk about backups, like, typically backups are a boring conversation. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of us think we have it handled. I mean, you know, it's funny that it's not like when I usually work on like container projects and stuff like that. Backups are almost they're almost pushed to the point of they just one they just assume that they're happening. Like everyone mm-hmm. just assumes that somebody did it and that they're automatic and that they're always right and that we've got everything we need to restore. Oh, and that we've tested restores and that we know right. how to do DR and that we've right. validated our DR on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and almost never is any of that true. And uh, how do we fix this? Yeah, well, in a lot of, I think in like a cloud native world, a lot of people assume that your vendors handle it, right? Yeah. Like, so you're running on a public cloud, doesn't matter who it is. And you assume, well, they've handled all that that hard stuff, right? They've, you assume that your your volumes are, they're durable, they're resistant to availability zones falling down, things like that. Right. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe US East goes away and you want to get back more quickly than those engineers can. Or maybe there there's some applications that are not made to be cloud native. They're not designed yet to be living in that world. So it's all well and good if you have a stateless application, but if you've got data, you really should be owning that backup strategy. Yeah. And rather than just assuming your cloud provider has taken care of all of it, you need to make sure you're protected. So Valero allows you to not, it does two things. It backs up the Kubernetes metadata. So like the YAML or JSON manifests, and it also grabs your persistent volumes. And that's probably the bigger thing because you could get the, the Kubernetes manifests through GitOps, if you're following that strategy. So if you want to grab your Kubernetes application data, Valero provides a way to get that. Yeah. So the, there's a couple of different ways you, we can do that. We've got support for doing snapshots through your persistent volume provider or using a, an application called Rustic to get file system level. And that makes it platform neutral. Right. So you can move from one provider to another. But yeah, like you said, it's we assume all this stuff's being done, but really someone on in your organization should probably be owning that for your application. Right. Uh, it uh, you know, I think a lot of people would who don't really know cloud and kubernetes well would probably think that, you know, backups are either built in or it's a checkbox type of thing because we would at this point it's like we've we you know, kubernetes Kubernetes and Docker and the container world has, we've felt like we've got this method for easily deploying. So now we're rapidly deploying and we're mm-hmm. able, even able to allow people to create new apps and deploy them without much effort in terms of the getting the operations team to be up man, this big manual effort to say, oh, you got a new app? Well, it's going to take us a month to get that into production. But having that experience where maybe the Kubernetes YAML has something in it or that basically says, yep, this is the part you need to back up and that's all I need to know. And is this, to, are we to the point with this project where in my YAML as a developer, I can specify what needs to be backed up or somehow label it or something so that it can be an automatic effort where the ops team doesn't then have to figure out how to back up that thing after it's already on my server? Is it that kind of level? We've talked about that so that you could package in your application to say, yeah, yeah, that the application could tell Valero, this is what you need. Valero is not to that level yet. The way Valero works is that Valero, Valero has a command line and it runs as a deployment in your server. Or in your, I'm sorry, in your cluster. Yeah. And Valero operates by creating its own backup CRs and then goes and runs a controller or operator to make the backup happen. And that backup CR says, okay, what do you want to backup? Is it everything in a namespace? Is it everything matching this label? Is it everything except for these things? Mm. So you can do excludes. So everything not matching this label, every everything but this res- this type of resource. So maybe you don't want to include 
uh, cluster roles, as an example. There's we're we're engaging with groups upstream. There's a relatively new. I think it was formed. Trying to remember exact timelines, but there's a, a new working group upstream, the data protection working group, which is a collaboration between SIG apps and SIG storage that's trying to figure out ways to standardize how applications can communicate, what would need to be backed up. So what's a man like what's in this application? Is it a deployment? Is it a stateful set? What what are the components of this application? And also, what are the building blocks for protecting it? Is it does it have volumes that need to be snapshotted? Does it have other external resources that we need to grab? So we're not only working on it within a Valero context; we're trying to work with the upstream community so that there's standards here. So it's not just us. But yeah, in terms of of having something that the application developers define, we're not there yet, but we want to get there. Right. Because, you know, not having any experience with this product, so I'm coming into it as a new user. I'm thinking, okay, if I'm trying to move my tooling to a more automated fashion, I mean, I'm, you know, this is my year of GitOpsing all the things, yeah, <laughs> at yeah. least in my personal projects. And so I imagine, okay, I've, I've got a new app. I'm going to host it in my cluster. I'm going to be putting that, those manifests or those Helm charts or something in my Git repo. And how can I just add that, like you said, a custom resource that specifies, hey, these things in my deployment are also need to be backed up, or maybe an annotation or a label or something that you're right. talking about in the existing resources. If you're a dedicated backup person, you want that command line, right? That makes total sense. Right. You want to be able to control the cluster as a whole, and you want to be able to see all the backups and how you know all those resources. And so that that's awesome. I'm always trying to shift that responsibility to the team that's yep. owning the app. And of course, with varying levels of success, but it, that, that did seem like a thing that would be super helpful is to say, hey, if you all just want to take care of it and don't even involve us, we'll just put these things in your YAML, your Helm chart or whatever you're creating, and then just know that we're going to be backing that up and you know, yeah. it'll work or whatever. So the, w- the way I would probably pitch that to a, an application team is there's, we have what are called schedules. And that's basically it takes the same set of includes and exclude fields that a backup does, and it runs it automatic runs it automatically on some schedule. So, say you've got a Helm chart for your application, you could include the schedule as part of that. So it's not quite to the level that. So we've got like open issues for I think we've called them backup templates. Uh, yeah. that applications could define. But if you include a Valero schedule in your YAML, you could apply that and it could say include the whatever label the application developers define. So they could say, okay, this is the uh, label we use. This is the schedule we we use. These are the hooks we define to back up the database. So we don't have... We don't have anything in Valero to directly dump databases. We instead define hooks that say, run this command on my container and get the stuff dumped out of the the database into a persistent volume. So that's probably how I would approach it in the current state is give have application developers use a schedule or at least define a backup CR in their, their Helm chart. And from there... That can be invoked on a schedule, and then the cluster administrator would be responsible for getting Valero installed. Right. Can you send things to uh, cloud storage? Like, I want to put it in this S3 bucket or in this whatever digital. Are those like drive? Would you call those drivers or plugins or? Yep, those are plugins. Valero has a plugin model for. There's three, three, four. There's four main types of plugins. There's Two of them are kind of grouped together. They're item action plugins, which happen on backup and restore. So they can modify Kubernetes manifests as they come in and out of the cluster. So on backup, you can modify Kubernetes, excuse me, Kubernetes manifests. Okay. So we use that to like walk from a pod to a PVC to a PV. So like when you're backing up a pod, we assume if it's got any PVCs, you want the PVs. And then we've got restore item actions that manipulate stuff on restore kind of doing the reverse as right. an example you go from a pv to rebuild back to the pod then we have object storage plugins 
which hook up to S3, GCP, object storage, Azure blob storage. And there's third-party plugins for that too. I don't, those three cover the main object storage cases. And then we have volume snapshot or plugins. So those do EBS snapshotting, GCP volume snapshotting. We have a vSphere snapshotter plugin now. There's been community. at At a disk level. At a volume mount yes. level, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not so, so much, not so much an application level, yeah. No, those are not at a, at an application level currently. Yeah. So, yeah. so is it using CSI in the background? Is that how you're? Are you able to? Do these plugins for storage have to be separate from a CSI plugin? Is this somehow related or? Right now, they're separate. They uh, Valero actually predate CSI. Okay. Our one point, yeah. So our our one point four release, which we're hoping to get out in a couple of weeks. Actually, that's our main feature is getting uh, CSI integration at a beta level. So that's something myself and Ashish is are working on. Ashish and another engineer on our team, and we're working with the CSI community to make sure like we're working with it, working with the Kubernetes CSI integration there. Right. So. Yeah, our, our hope is eventually we deprecate the Valero plugins for snapshotting, but that's going to be a long-term goal. Um, sure. For the foreseeable future, we're going to have both. Right. Yeah, that's the same thing that the Kubernetes community is doing, right? Like, obviously, the built-in plugins are going to be there for a while, and, like, the CSIs not necessarily feature complete in comparison. Yeah. So I can see how that's a, that's a multi-year process. Right. <laughs> you don't want right. to leave anyone behind. Every, you don't want to, you don't want to leave someone behind just because they're, they're still using the old backup that works. Yeah. Right. right. And not every CSI driver has the snapshotting capability yet. Right. And the, the snapshotting, even though CSI itself is GA, the snapshotting API is still beta. So we're Valero itself is probably going to trail behind on the the GA status just so we can see as more drivers become available. We're testing it out with the drivers that are there, but it's requiring some tweaks to Valero and we want to make sure we don't break existing Valero users. And we also want to make sure we're being good community participants and helping inform the design. Yeah, that makes sense. Certainly, uh, if people aren't used to defaulting to CSI for their regular apps, then not using that. Uh, by the way, CSI, sorry, people. Container storage interface. Yeah, it's the standard that Kubernetes is now using for new plugins to use different storage other than just local disk. So if you're using a cloud storage, you, you can either choose the built-in ones, but now the new way to do it uh, lately is the CSI plugins, right? And the idea us for all of this, right, is that this, every storage vendor can make their own CSI plugin. This is even on the roadmap now for Docker Swarm for it to uh, adopt a CSI as sort of a standard mechanism for storage so that we maybe have a the dream someday is that the entire container industry can rely on a single volume plugin for each type of volume, whether that's a cloud storage or your VMware storage or your your NetApp iSCSI storage or whatever it is, right? You can you can yep. just rely on that one driver and it provides all the mechanisms for all these different types of tools and you don't have to learn a sp- so that each one of your products doesn't have a different way of connecting to storage, which I kind of thought we solved like 15 years ago with iSCSI. I felt like that was the dream. And then yep. the cloud happened and then containers happened. And yeah, we're now we're back to trying to figure it out loud again. So, yep. Yep. And on the Valero team. Yeah. Yeah. We saw that and we're like, we saw the CSI stuff happening and we're like, well, it doesn't make any sense to ask storage vendors to make Valero specific plugins, right. especially right. like. If, if there's competing backup solutions, it doesn't make any yeah. sense to ask storage vendors to make a bunch of different ones. Right. So, uh, and there if, always if is, CS- right? There's a ton yeah, of competing. Has, yeah. Right. So if there's this community standard, let's get involved there. Let's make sure it works yeah. for everybody and hook into that. Yeah, yeah for sure. It, it makes absolute sense to make Valero compatible with that. But yeah, when Valero started CSI, the discussion for CSI hadn't really started. Yeah. And even Docker struggled with this because they, they provided Docker plugins for storage, but they this is pre-CSI. And so now Docker's wanting to also consider the CSI as a mechanism so that we, because storage vendors don't want to do this. They don't want to make a Kubernetes plugin and a Docker plugin and a backup every vendor plugin. And of course, trying to make them all one is way harder than we all probably think it is. So... Yep. Yeah, it'll be it'll get there someday. Maybe I, I have some friends that are very skeptical that this is ever going to come to fruition. <laughs> it's the, the it's, dream of storage. It's not easy. And 
I'm glad that from my perspective, I'm just calling storage. I'm not an implementer. The stateful stuff's hard. Stateful stuff is definitely hard. Yeah. Um, and snapshotting it, and like yep. snapshotting is crazy voodoo that sometimes I don't even understand really how it's happening. You know, especially yep. when the apps are aware of this of the snapshot and they actually write to disk before snapshotting. Like that stuff gets super nerdy. We could talk yep. about that all day. But I right. I do want to get to demos because you sure. you prepared demos and we all love a good demo here on YouTube where we could watch. Let me know when you got your screen shared and I will Yeah. I've got it shared. I'll switch over to Firefox so you don't see yourself. So I am in my browser. Yeah. All right. So I've just got a very simple WordPress and MySQL application running. So I just want to show that this is up and running. I've got some data in it. Hopefully this is big enough for people to read. I've got a post. Sorry, I bumped my microphone there. I can go into the post. I've got a comment. And just show that like I'm not restoring any other weird data. Live comment. I'm not doing any. Um, I'm going to take an actual backup. So got some small data. And then I'm going to jump over here to my terminal. So I just want to show I've got, got Valero running in my namespace. And right now I just got one replica. And because I'm not great at talking and typing, I'm just gonna run this demo script, which is gonna run commands and proceed when I hit buttons. I've got this WordPress namespace. It's just got one pod each for WordPress and MySQL. And they've got server services to expose them, Just one to go to the outside world for WordPress. And we've also got PVCs. So we've got one for MySQL. We've got one for WordPress. That's just for static assets, pictures, right. things like that. Uploads. Yeah. yeah. Uploads, CSS. And just prove just to prove there are indeed Persistent volumes. This is the MySQL claim that matches to this one. To that. All right. Okay. Now I'm going to show I have, this is the latest version of Valero. Got 1.3.2 on the server and 1.3.2 running on my laptop. So before, so, sorry, let me back up for a second. So before this, you deployed yep. the custom resource definitions and then you deployed a, a controller Right. So there's a controller running in your cluster and yep. this works on any standard Kubernetes conformant cluster, right? Yep. Yep. So OpenShift, TKG, Rancher. Yeah. Any Kubernetes conformant cluster. Yep. And, right. and, and something I should also mention, Valero will also work on managed Kubernetes clusters. So it backs up things through the Kubernetes API. It doesn't grab etcd directly. So if you're on GKE or EKS or anything like that, you don't get access to etcd directly. So that's why we work through the API server. So it'll work even on, excuse me, managed oh, okay. solutions. Yeah. That there's some, there's some issues with that because things could be changing in the API server while the backup's running. And we've talked in the data protection working group about maybe introducing some sort of freeze API, but that's probably down the road and requires upstream Kubernetes changes. But yeah. for now, that's how Valero works. All right. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to do this Valero command. Varies like what we talked about. I'm naming it wp-demo including this namespace WordPress. And I'm just going to wait for it to complete. All right. And uh, the way that works is we just fire off a custom resource to the Kubernetes API server and let our controller slash operator run against it. And 
clear the screen so it's not all at the bottom. And we're going to do a describe against it to see what all's there. So I'm going to scroll up here. So the name uh, is what we named it, WP Demo. Valero puts all its backspaces, or I'm sorry, <laughs> backups in the Valero namespace. It does not store it in the same namespace as the application. Because what if you accidentally delete that namespace and you want to get it back? It's We've had requests to change it and we're open to that. We just need to figure out that problem. Like if you accidentally delete that namespace, you need a way to get it back. So yeah. we're not completely married to that design. We just need to figure out a solution to that problem. Yeah, like maybe a parallel namespace that's right. Valero name. Yeah, yeah. Right, we duplicate it or something like that. But for now, it either goes in the default namespace is Valero, you can deploy it to whatever namespace you want. We label everything with the, or we label every backup with the storage location, which is the object storage. Uh, there's a representation of the object storage bucket called a store backup storage location. And this is just so we can easily fetch them from the API server. Right. In this case, it went to the default. There were no annotations on the backup and it was completed. We've got some information on what stuff was included or excluded. So the namespace was WordPress and we didn't, ex we did not exclude anything. This is useful if you want to back up the whole cluster, but say exclude cube system, because usually there's a lot of stuff that's managed by the cluster that you might want to exclude because it's specific to the cluster or that running cluster, I should say. Let's see here. We didn't apply a label selector to the backup, so we didn't grab stuff based on a label. Again, we stored it in the default location. We automatically snapshotted any persistent volumes. By default, the time to live or duration of a backup is a month or 720 hours. There were no hooks defined on the backup itself. You can define hooks on the backup or on, you can actually define a hook on a pod or a deployment or you know any anywhere you can put a pod uh, template. So you can find a hook on your application to say dump my database, whether that be Mongo or MySQL or wh whatever your application uses. The backup format, this is the format that we store in object storage. We actually have some changes coming to this in 1.4 that are backwards compatible so that it's going to be, I can talk about this more after the demo if you'd like, but we're going to take some longer term uh, visions for the backup format. We've got some information on start and completed. And then just so you don't have to download the whole backup to see what's in it, we've got a resource list. Cool. Yeah, that resource list is the money. That's where you're confirming all the objects that you expected. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And then finally, this is what we snapshotted. So we've got, these are what were created. And this, these IDs will vary based on your provider because different providers use different IDs. And I'm currently working on updating the values that will go here for the CSI plugins that we've written. So I've got a PR in progress to add this information for CSI snapshots. So now we're going to simulate a disaster or an accident, and we're just going to nuke the WordPress namespace. Yeah. Or, or before I do that, do you have any other questions? No, I don't think so. Yeah, we. so we're going to nuke it, and then we're going to restore it. Is that what you're doing? Yep, yep. Okay. I'm going to nuke it, and I'll also run to the website and show that, no, really, it's gone. So this should be busted. Yep. Start, should start getting a 404 soon. It's deleted. Yep, nothing there. So just to show I'm not pulling anything, site's really gone. I'm, I'm refreshing, not getting anything back. And to confirm even further, Nothing found. There's nothing on the Kubernetes server. All right. Nothing and up your sleeves. Nothing up yep. your sleeves. <laughs> nope. Nope. No persistent volumes on the cluster anymore either. There's only stuff in this 
cluster is was the WordPress stuff. Con, it's WordPress. A Contour was my Ingress controller, which I think you talked to Steve Sloka, and Valero. And I probably should have cleared everything here, but uh, we're going to create uh, restore name WP restore. And we're going to use from backup. We're going to use the WP demo as the source for this restore. So again, we're, what we're doing here is submitting a request, uh, a custom resource to the Kubernetes API server. The Kubernetes API server will get it and the Valero restore controller or operator will grab that, start the restore, and we're going to see that it will create all the namespaces and everything, and then things will start to run. So take a look at the restore details. We come up here. So of course, very similarly, the restore store name and namespace same as the backup, we've got the same name and the same namespace. No labels or annotations. And the namespaces here are a little different than the backup. We included all the namespaces that were in the backup because we don't know ahead of time what namespaces are in there. So we didn't include, we didn't do dash dash include namespaces, although we could on a restore. So you could selectively grab an individual namespace out of a restore or out of a backup, excuse me. So you could say back up my whole cluster and then only grab one namespace out of it. So hmm. say I accidentally deleted this one namespace, you could go grab one namespace out of it if you wanted to. Or you could do a label selector out of the names out of the uh, backup. And similarly, we re included all resources except for nodes because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to recreate nodes because that's all managed by the cluster itself. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to create nodes without actual hardware or virtual hardware standing behind it. Events are all short-lived, so we don't recreate those. They don't make a whole lot of sense to restore. And also, we don't restore our own backups and restores because uh, we found restoring these actually causes some recursion. So if we restore backups, we kick off new backups. If we, <laughs> if we restore restores, we kick off new restores. Yeah. So Valero doesn't do that. And then RESTIC repositories are for if we're doing file level backups and Valero manages those outside of this backup restore cycle. So we don't restore those. We can also, if you'd like, do namespace remapping on restore. So you can say, take my WordPress namespace and rename it to something else, foobar, you know. Why would I do you that? Uh, you could do that if you wanted to clone a namespace. Say you wanted to take a production namespace or you're playing around and you wanted to have a pristine copy of this namespace but okay. wanted to change something and you weren't sure it was going to work. You could copy that namespace with PVs and everything and mess around. So we've had users request this and it's... I don't, I honestly don't have statistics on how many people use this, but it's been a feature that people have definitely used. So, hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's something you can do and and take your PV data along with you. If you do a namespace remapping, you can copy the PVs. Yeah, I mean that's something that is a, I, I think, especially in the storage realm, that's actually pretty normal. Like you can, like mm -hmm. we mentioned earlier, NetApp storage. Like NetApp has an ability for you to take a snapshot and then essentially put it somewhere else so that someone can work on a read-only copy or something like that. So yep. that, totally, that totally makes sense to me, especially if you think about the work that it would be involved with someone like a DevOps team in order to spin up a new namespace that's identical to the current one so that someone mm -hmm. can see it. That's a lot of copying YAML and stuff versus just saying, hey, let's just restore to a new namespace. Yeah, that's pretty yep. cool. Yep. And there's similar work upstream. There's, I'm not sure where the cap is, but there's like a PV clone functionality that's coming. That's not a full namespace copy, but there's similar ideas okay. um, in other realms. Well, not making any commitments on changing, but we're definitely going to look at 
maybe using that functionality further on down the road yeah. versus our own. But yeah, it's something that maybe, or maybe in a CI CD setup, you might want to use this to validate something with your app. Cool. All right. And then you can also use a flag to maybe you don't want to automatically restore PVs. Uh, you could set that to false and not restore PVs. You just want the, the Kubernetes metadata for some reason. Okay. Right. So after we've looked at that, take a look at the persistent volumes. So they're all back. We can look at the namespace and all of that stuff should be back. Got our service back, got our pods back, we've got a replica set, our deployments. If I go back to my website, got my post, it's got both comments, including the one I made, and prove I can, it's still working. So everything is still running. All right. And uh, that was the end of the demo. So yeah, the CRDs, let's limit that. Just to show the Valero CRDs, this is what we've got in there that was installed. And there's a Valero install command. We've got two ways to install it with this Valero install command which is shipped with the Valero client. So it's all built in or with a Valero Helm chart. Okay. Is there, so we, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say either way we support both ways. Yeah. And the Valero install command, we're currently revisiting it. It was meant to be like a, a quick start kind of tool. And then we, it's kind of grown into a little bit of a beast to show you what I mean. If I do dash dash help, it's, uh, a very long list of options. Right. <laughs> um, so we're looking at ways uh, to fix this and make it much more friendly. So the Helm chart's one way of doing it. And we're also looking at replacing a Valero install command with a Valero config command because Valero install is like a one and done thing. Right. Not very so, infrastructure as code friendly. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah. You can do, it has a dash dash dry run, so you can dump out YAML and get your GitOps kind of thing from there. But yeah, it's not, that's not great. So we're looking at revisiting that and making it more, more useful for the infrastructure as code and GitOps and maybe doing layering with, I'm already blanking on, uh, customize. Yep. Doing customize and Helm, but those the, right now our options are Valero install and why am I blanking Helm? Uh, those are the two ways that we support for installing it at the moment. And of course, doing the dash dash dry run to dump out the YAML that it produces. Can you do that same dry run on a backup job so you can produce YAML that you could apply rather than doing the, Velo, the backup command, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if I say include namespaces WordPress and I do dash dash dry run. What did I get wrong? Oh, and actually, I think it's actually just dash o yaml, but unknown flag include namespaces. Yeah, it was backup crate. Ah, yeah, there you go. And yeah, so it's just dash o. Yeah, the install command is kind of janky. I say that as the person who wrote it. Yeah, you can do the dash o yaml. And there's also the Valero schedule command, which my sched, and that, that takes all the same commit, same arguments as a backup, including a cron job specification. Let's see, so if I say namespaces WordPress, and I'm gonna forget where the cron jobs space is. And oh, and then you have to schedule in there, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember what the name was. And now, let's do eight. Is it five? There we go. So a schedule would look like this. So it's a very, it's got a backup template right there. And then when you do restore, you can do a 
dash dash from schedule. And it, if you do dash dash from schedule on a restore, it will grab the latest backup created from that schedule and restore from that. Okay. And this schedule is, yeah, it's one of your API resources. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's one of the, one of the custom resource types. Yeah. Uh, so it acts like a cron job, but it's not actually using the jobs or any of the cron job, the default resources. It's a custom resource. Yeah. Yeah. It's a custom resource and we have our own custom operator for it. We've looked into making it, making it use the cron job, but we haven't prioritized that in our backlog yeah. yet. That's probably nice to keep regular application stuff separate from your actual backup stuff. So, you know, if yeah. it has the same features, I don't see like why that's a, at least for me, I would, I'd be fine with it being its own. But I, we have yeah. a question actually from the chat is, is there some form of scheduled job that can be deployed to a Kates cluster that would simulate the backup and restore periodically to ensure that the backup and restore process is monitored? Yeah, so we include Prometheus metrics, but in terms of restores, we don't have a schedule uh, for restores. So right now, that needs to be done separately. So you'd need to include your own. Yeah. I can stop sharing at this point if you'd like. Sure. I don't really have any anything more unless we need to look at something specific. Um, yeah, but I mean, backup, that's a good question around, you know, backup monitoring and then which are almost really two separate things, right? Backup monitoring right. and then DR and just recovery validation is always a challenge for every team. So let's talk about uh, monitoring for a minute. So yeah. what goes up, what's going on there? So there's two, two things we advise. We've got Prometheus metrics exposed. We don't ship a whole lot of stuff to set up Prometheus, mostly because that's, that's kind of outside the scope, but we do ship out Prometheus metrics like, Last time a backup backup job failed. Last time a backup job finished. You can also query f for the latest backup job, like watch the endpoints and grab that information. In terms of validating restores, yeah, that is something we don't provide. Like I said, we don't provide a schedule that's equivalent to a backup, and right. we also don't want to just like overwrite we don't want to just apply to your clusters so right. you're probably going to want to come up with some strategy that applies it to some test cluster i was sitting here thinking like, as you were talking i was thinking that i was like it almost needs to be like a custom add-in that basically pushes your backups to a separate place that has no way to affect production and then does a real one and then validates and then you have to have application validation to make sure that the app's actually restored correctly so that's a yeah, separate product <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's tough. The closest I can think of to get in a generic way is to do comparisons on your YAML. Yeah. And even then, there's there's Kate's metadata, like UIDs and creation timestamps and things like that, that's just not valid in the comparison. Yeah, so, so you strip that creation out. Timestamps, yeah. you, have to, you have to rip out. Like, we rip that out on Restore because it's not useful. So that that is tough. There's some internal projects we have that are not ready to ship out that have tried that, but they're kind of half-baked in POCs. And we're also talking about for our 1.5 release timeframe to get some more end-to-end -end testing on our public CI to start playing with this. And maybe that gets elevated into part of the, the project, but mostly it'll be to validate some like major bug regression testing yeah okay the last thing i can think of is it sounds like it's in scope that if i lose my entire cluster that this can provide me a mechanism to bring the whole thing back to life yep yeah so the kind of the big brain vision would be to use this in cluster api to treat your clusters as cattle so if you think about this as even if Let's say you don't want to upgrade your clusters in place. Right. Just spin up a new version of Kubernetes with cluster API, use this to move it, kill the old clusters. And maybe you use some higher level load balancer, contour, gimbal, or some other thing to move your cluster move your traffic over once right. it's all there, then you kill the old one. So yeah, right. absolutely. So this is providing the, after a default install and assuming that you've installed Valero, installed meaning add, yeah, added it to the cluster, whatever, then ideally it's providing from one cluster a command, or I guess 
because you're doing it cross cluster. Mm-hmm. So how does the new cluster even know about the old clusters backups? Is that something that's built in? So yeah. Do, so what you, you have cross to do cross cluster restores? Is that a feature? I guess I'm asking the same question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So the way that works, that's actually in our documentation. That's a big. That's a big use case. Is essentially the way you get that cross cluster restore is you install Valero. So you have to spin up the cluster, get the Valero deployment running, and you have to make sure that Valero deployment points to the same bucket, that same object store bucket that the previous cluster backed up to. So once they're pointing to the, once they're both pointing to the same bucket, then you can restore from that previous cluster. Okay. So you have cluster A right to your bucket. And then you have cluster B read from that bucket. And then you can get that cross cluster migration. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> all yeah. right. Well, you know, it's funny. This is all like, I'm realizing we basically just created a tutorial and, and an <laughs> intro to like backups on Kubernetes, because I think it's a big question. And as I kind of admitted in some of my social posts that I'm part of the problem because I do training all the time. I'm teaching people on the internet and I don't talk about backups a lot. Like I, I just, it's one of those topics that people don't buy courses on. People don't, they don't, they want it. The backup part is something they do after they've already learned everything else. Right. And so, in fact, I'm now thinking about it that like the, the number of questions in my courses out of 170,000 people that have asked about backup questions is really, really small. Like in the, like probably just a couple of handfuls mm-hmm. of people. And I don't think it's because we, we're, we all just don't care. I think there's just multiple reasons. Like you said, some people, like my advice to most people usually is avoid persistent data in your cluster if at all possible, right? If you can just use the cloud's data provisioning services for RDS or whatever, mm-hmm. do that. Sure. Avoid the easiest Kubernetes cluster is the one that can go away and then you can rebuild it from manifests and it's fine. And it, you don't have to restore data. Like, yeah, it would be nice if we all just never had to worry about having Valero. <laughs> and we, we could just have a deployment of, yeah, of infrastructure as code and the cluster comes back up and connections start happening and then we let the cloud worry about the persistent data. But the reality is that everything's complex, more complex than that. We all have legacy apps and yeah. So, yeah. all right. Yeah, and there's, a, I forget, I think it was, I think it was Twitter. Somebody did a KubeCon, I believe it was KubeCon Seattle. They they talked about using Valero to do backups. And they, they were playing around with Kubernetes and did a, an accidental command that just deleted all their clusters. And they were like, we didn't think we needed this. And then we deleted everything. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, it's an afterthought. And it's one that we've heard from customers is, oh yeah, we it, it was always a later, later, and then they deleted stuff, and now it's a oh, we need this. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We thought we we thought we didn't have persistent data, but t- it turns out that we actually changed things in Kubernetes, and we needed that persistent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a valid reason for moving everything to as much infrastructure as code and GitOps, and remove the command line from anyone's. Remove the API connections from anyone's local machine and only allow the automation bots to do that. And that it's yep. a hard thing. And most of the teams I work with don't ever get that to that level just because there's a lot of things that have to go into that that sort of bite you in the rear if you don't really have a strong automated pipeline. But that's for another yep. podcast. Yeah. Um, we have a couple more questions. One is, do you recommend just doing manual restore testing regularly then, I guess, in, in, since there is no automated... Yeah, at this point, I would recommend that. I would strongly recommend working to automate that. And that's something we're working on internally. It's something we want to get to. We also have community meetings on Tuesdays at uh, noon Eastern. If folks want to discuss like approaches to that, yeah. uh, that's absolutely a valid topic. If, if folks want to discuss how they might approach that and share that information, absolutely a valid a valid thing. If, if users want to share what they've tried, it's that would be great to hear. One one thing I will say as a developer of Valero, a lot of my clusters don't live very long. Right. So that that would be great to get some insight from folks who's who have clusters that live a lot longer than me yeah. or a lot longer than mine. So I would definitely welcome feedback and and user experience there. And so yeah, we've got discussions on Slack channel. So I would recommend testing your your restores whether they're manual or automated as much as you can at this point just because the backups are good but if you try to restore and they don't work then that's just as bad as not having backups yeah and there's stuff that's to me most of the headaches have nothing to do with the backup tool 
Like the re- the restore of a backup may be fantastic, but the application didn't write to disk properly, so I don't actually have valid data backups. Or my connections come into different endpoints, and those endpoints were lost and restored, and I didn't update those things. So there's so many things there that nothing. I used to have an old boss that would basically walk in on a fr- some Friday where there wasn't a lot going on. He would say, "Okay, everybody in the conference room," and we all kind of knew what that meant because he was going to say, "Today is DR day. Imagine the data center is gone." How do we start restoring the data center? And it would yep. make the, it would take. We would have the DBA team that we'd have everybody essentially all hands on deck saying, "Okay, let's let's go through this exercise." And it always, it was basically a shit show. It was always yep. you know scrambling to try to figure out all the things and all the teams. And we realized no matter how much documentation we had, there was always a gap. There was always some exception because since the last time we did it, new right. stuff There's showed up. Something new. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's like planned chaos monkey. Yep. <laughs> with a bunch of humans, <laughs> a yeah, manual, yeah. a chaos monkey of manual activities. Yeah. I, can't, I, I don't think there's so, such a thing as too much backup testing, especially if you're someone who's responsible for backups. Because I think a lot of organizations just uh, assume that the backup person or the team responsible for that might, might be the same as the storage team, that they're somehow like magically able to test all these apps. And they're usually not like they're not the developers. They're not the operators. So they don't necessarily have the capability to even know if the app's going to work if they restore it. Yeah, that's a hard thing. And I sympathize with those people because they're usually the most relied on in the situation, but they're usually the ones that have the least amount of information about how the apps are supposed to work and all the other things outside of that, like networking that usually needs to be involved as well. Yeah. Or even your cloud vendor. Like if you think about it, if Amazon or Google Cloud or Azure go down, like their concern isn't necessarily your app. It's getting their infrastructure back. Now, they have a huge incentive to get back online, that's for sure. But like their incentive is not your application. So a a lot of that does fall on your organization's shoulders. So owning your uptime I think a lot of people say that, but it's hard to do. It's expensive yeah. and it's hard. Yeah, and it's not immediately effective. It's if the if the failure never happens, then no one ever got to see all your work. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of time and effort spent for something that hopefully never happens. Right. Which is why I don't think it's pushed to the back of the project, right? Because all the project delays are happening, and everyone's like, "Well, we'll just do the DR testing later." Then, so yeah. Well, this has been a great discussion. Uh, Thank you all for the questions. Hopefully, we'll have more to talk about in the future about backups and DR. And when you guys get some major new features, it'd be great to have you back on the show to to get a catch up um, to this. But for those of you out there, the message is try this stuff, do the right thing. Like, don't let it be that one day that you suddenly, because sometimes jobs jobs depend on this and it's important. So we'll do better on our end talking about it. You do your be- better on your end of actually using it. Thanks a lot, Nolan, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks and for having me. people can find you at the little Twitter handles on our little page there. You can get Valero at uh, Valero.io and there's also a Twitter handle, right? I think it's Valero Project. Uh, Project Valero? Or yep. Project Valero. So yep. you can we're follow also... them on Twitter and see their releases. Yeah, we're also on the Kubernetes Slack in the Valero channel. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed that demo and conversation with Nolan from VMware. And of course, you can get all the stuff in the show notes, all the links and info. And I will see you in the next episode.